Thank you for joining us today for The Central Word, a podcast ministry of Central Baptist Church, Texarkana, Arkansas. Today's a special day for Central as Brother Mike Sylvie is with us, preaching in view of a call to become our pastor. There will be another opportunity next Sunday to hear Mike in person before we vote. So please make sure to be here next week if, if at all possible. Here now is Brother Mike Sylvie preaching from 1 Chronicles 12, verse 32. All right, well, so good to be with you this morning. I appreciate the significance of this day and next Sunday. And uh, to be honest with you, um, as I came this morning, I kind of got really nervous. I joined the young adult Sunday school class. Brother Bruce is the teacher. And uh, the lesson today was on the Pharisees having a question and answer time, and they wanted to stone the people that they didn't agree with. <laughs> so uh, I hope y'all left your stones outside the door today. <laughs> And you'll go easy on us, uh, but I understand we need to go through the process. This is a big decision, and we all want the same thing. We all want the Lord's will. Amen. The right thing is the Lord's will, what he wants. And so we have to go through this process. I know you've been praying, I have been praying, and we're all seeking confirmation of how he is leading. And I pray that, uh, that the Lord will make that clear to you over the today and next Sunday as we go through this process. Well, it has seemed like it's been a long time since I've been with you. Um, when I thought about it, it has been a long time. It's last year's when I was with you before. We've got a new year, 2023. Uh, I remember as a boy in this church many, many years ago, during the 1980s as I was uh, in junior high school, and I would think about the future, and I would think about, well, when will it be when the future really arrives, you know, and things will be just different, and, and my mind went to 20, the 2020s and getting close to 2030. I thought, when I get there, it's really going to be the future. <laughs> so here we are. You may have heard some of this, but uh, I, I looked up some of the predictions for this new year, and I made a kind of a top 10 list of things that I saw that's being predicted, predicted for 2023. Uh, first on the list, gas prices will continue to stay high. No big surprise there. Coffee prices go on the rise. Stock market expected to rise. We'll see about that. Interest rates will continue to go up. And the COVID-19 pandemic is supposed to officially end in 2023. It's about time. So uh, those are some of the predictions. Other predictions on the list is that the world popu population is predicted to reach 8 billion people this year. The world's just exploding in population growth. Number seven on the list is according to the Almanac, winter is predicted to be cold and snowy in our region. I think they've got that right, except for this little sliver of Texarkana. It seems like y'all just miss a lot of stuff that, that heads this way, but all around you, and I know up in Hope this, this week, we've gotten it, and then the rest of Arkansas, so uh, if you like winter weather, I think it's coming. 
But speaking about the future, uh, here's some kind of futuristic things. Number eight on the list, 10% of reading glasses will be connected to the Internet this coming year. So everything's connected to the Internet. Our phones, our TVs, some of your cars are connected, your house may be connected. Wait till you get your glasses connected. You think they're expensive now, but that's, that's what's coming. Number nine, more U.S. cities will offer robo-taxis, cars with no driver, powered by AI, artificial intelligence to take you from point A to point B. No, thank you. I want somebody who's living and breathing sitting behind the wheel in my car. The last on the list, number 10, is that the U.S. Air Force is expected to invest millions of dollars in flying cars to be used for their transportation. Hello, George Jetson. Welcome, everyone, to the future. I mean, this is the future that I imagine. And it's here. It's flown by, but, but here we are. Now, those are predictions. And we don't know if they're going to come true or not. Many of them probably will not. Some will. But I want to give you two more predictions I know is 100% accurate and Absolutely sure they're going to happen. Number one, God's going to continue to work in this world in 2023, and you and I are going to have to decide if we're going to follow him or not. And those are the most important decisions that we have to make. I want to speak to you today about decisive people for decisive times. First Chronicles chapter 12 presents to us some people who made a decisive difference in their day and time they're called the sons of Issachar. And here in verse 32, which is the key verse of, of this chapter, we just have a short word introducing them to us. But a lot is said about them in just a few short lines. The Bible says of the sons of Issachar who had understanding of the times to know what Israel ought to do. Their chiefs were 200 and all their brethren were at their command. So when the Bible says here they had understanding, it means that they had discernment. And, and of all the people in this chapter, and there are many of the tribes that are represented here, and uh, a huge amount of people came here when he added up. There was well over 400,000 that eventually assembled to begin to follow David. Uh, of all the people that are mentioned here, only these sons of Issachar, uh, have this description that they were people of discernment. It speaks about the discipline of the others, that they could keep ranks, that they were strong, that they were mighty. But only these individuals are mentioned for their character, for their heart, for their discernment. And I think that says a lot about them. This is a model for us to follow. These are decisive people for decisive times. And we certainly have decisive times here in 2023. We've got things going on we never thought we'd see. we got uncertainty about our future as far as uh, on the human level, but we know God is in control, but we don't know uh, everything we're going to have to go through, everything we're going to face, but we know that God is able to lead us. And we need to be decisive. We need to be following him every step of the way. So I want to look at these sons of Issachar and people like them here in this chapter and uh, understand 
Number one, what they did not do. There's some lessons for us here, what they did not do. And then number two, some things about their understanding, some things they did, some things they understood that made them so decisive. As we read in verse 22 and read the surrounding verses to the key verse, we really understand what's going on here. This was a time of change. It was a time of change of turning the kingdom over from King Saul to King David. And God was doing this. God was moving. And the people had to decide, were they going to follow God or not? Were they going to get on David's side or, or stay where they were? And so verse 22 says, For at that time they came to David day by day to help him, until it was a great army, like the army of God. Now these were the numbers of the divisions that were equipped for war and came to David at Hebron to turn over the kingdom of Saul to him according to the word of the Lord. And there were many that gathered. Verse 24 List the sons of Judah. Verse 25, the sons of Simeon. Verse 26, the sons of Levi. Down in verse 29, the sons of Benjamin. Verse 30, the sons of Ephraim. Verse 31, the half-tribe of Manasseh. And then the sons of Iskar in verse 32. And then Zebulun and Naphtali in verse 33 and 34. The Danites and Asher in 35, 36, 37 of the Rumanites. And the Gadites and the half-tribe of Manasseh from the other side of the Jordan, 120,000 armed for battle with every kind of weapon of war. All these men of war who could keep ranks came to Hebron with a loyal heart to make David king over Israel. And all the rest of Israel were of one mind to make David king. I want you to notice, number one, what they did not do in their time of decision. Number one, they did not quit. They went through a lot of difficulty during this time. Saul had wreaked havoc in the kingdom. They, they had uh, seen uh, the, the Ark of the Covenant, the very symbol of the presence of God in the very Holy of Holies. None of them had ever seen that. They were not supposed to look at the Ark. That Ark was taken and captured and was in the filthy, idolatrous hands of the Philistines. And added to that, the Israelite army was scattered, and Saul was taken, and he was killed, and all of his sons were killed except one. They went through difficult, dark days, but they did not give up, and neither should we in our time of difficulty. We've been through some things recently. I looked at it, and I thought back about the last eight years. It was back in 2015 that gay marriage was legalized here in our country. Not according to God's laws, but according to man's laws. And from that point on, everything and everyone's come out of the closet. You realize that there are 58 different genders that Facebook offers for people to select and identify with? 58. And they even say the list is not comprehensive. Everything's come out. Things we thought we'd never see paraded down Main Street and in the halls of, of Washington, D.C. is now out there for everyone to see. 2019, the world pandemic hits. And into 2020, the government shuts down. Churches are forced to stop meeting. Businesses are closed for way too long. 
And we all endured that. And then that year, before it was over, 2020, we saw the most, one of the most divisive presidential elections in U.S. history. And if that wasn't enough, 2020 ends with, the, with Russia invading Ukraine and, and uh, threatening world peace. 2022, 21 to 22, we've had record high inflation. That's the last eight years. We've been through some stuff, right? And sometimes we can be tempted to say, well, what's the difference that I keep doing what I'm supposed to be doing? It's not The world keeps going the wrong way. But the sons of Issachar had understanding of the times. They knew it was no time to quit. And they didn't. And neither should we. So that's the first thing they did not do. The decisive people do not quit. They stay faithful. They stay faithful to the Lord. It's been said that there are three kinds of people. There are those who make things happen. There are those who watch things happen. And there are those who say, hey, what just happened? (laughs) And you and I need to be decisive people. And here's how we do that. God is the one who makes all good things happen. We need to get with him. We need to follow him. And we need to not be the ones who are watching what's happening, not the ones who are wondering what happened, but the ones who are working with the Lord who makes all good things happen, even in these days that we live. They didn't quit. A second thing they did not do is they did not give up on God. They continued to trust that he had a plan and was working that plan. They had lost their leader. They had lost their army. They had lost some of their most precious centerpieces of their religious worship. But there were some in the group that realized they had not lost God. They still had everything they needed. And they didn't give up on God. Proverbs 21.1 says, The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. And like the rivers of water, he turns it wherever he wishes. The Lord's in control. There was a time when there was a Roman emperor, a Roman king in charge of the world and was doing everything that the world wants to do. And God himself stepped out of heaven and came into the world at that time. Became a baby. Grew up to be a boy and a man and a servant, a savior who then called 12 ordinary men to to be his followers. And those disciples became his apostles that went out in the world, and in that decisive time, they turned the world upside down when it seemed like nothing was going to change what was happening. Listen, there have been decisive times before, and there have been times, I think we could make a case, that there have been worse times in history than right now. In some ways. But what decisive people do not do. Is they do not give up. On God. They continue to serve him. They continue to follow him. They continue to trust him. And wait to see what he's going to do. If we quit. If the sons of Iskar would have quit. They would have missed out on what God. Was about to do. And my what he was about to do. To bring David to the throne. Who would then be a type of of the Son of David, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. They followed their David. We follow our David. A third thing that they did not do is that they did not give up on each other. 
I like what the text says here in verse 22. They became like a mighty army of God. And you count up all the numbers. I didn't read all the numbers. You can take time to do that. But all the, the different tribes have a number attached to them that, that came on this occasion. And when you add it up, it's well over 400,000. And they were a mighty army of God, 400,000 strong. And sometimes we feel like we're, we're just kind of out here and we're on our own and we don't amount to much. But there, God has a mighty army today. And what they did not do is they didn't give up on each other. They linked together. They came together. And they became that army of God. I looked it up. In our local association, our BMA of America, our kind of Baptist, we number about 200,000. We've never all been together, so we don't realize that. But we number about 200,000 of Baptists that's just like you and me a Baptist of all flavors, and there are a lot, across the world, they, they number 100 million. Of evangelicals, those who profess faith in Christ by, by grace through faith alone, Baptist or not, total number of evangelicals across the world numbers 546 million. God has his army today. We're a part of it, and we shouldn't give up on one another but we should stay faithful to God. There's something that he wants us to do with him in this day in which we live. Now that brings us to what did they do? Okay. They were decisive. They were men of discernment. What did they do? Well, I'm going to give you three understandings that helped them make a decisive difference. Number one, they understood that they were going in the wrong direction. In verse 32, where it says that they had understanding of the times, that means literally they understood what was happening around them. They saw the signs of the times, and all the signs told them one thing loud and clear, and that is they were going in the wrong direction, number one. Saul had wreaked havoc in the world. He was not serving God. He started out doing that, but he, he strayed. And he led the kingdom into the ditch. And it, all, it affected all of them as well. And they knew, they all realized they were going in the wrong direction. You read the other scriptures describing this time and you see that it was sinful times, hostile times, and times of, of uh, unstable finances. That sound familiar? When, when Samuel was speaking to, to Saul as the kingdom was um, being taken from him, Samuel described it like this. He said, For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is, is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you from being king. 1 Samuel 15. That's what those times were like. Rebellion, witchcraft, stubbornness, iniquity, idolatry, rejecting the word of the Lord. Sinful times. Difficult times. Added to that, there was all kinds of hostility. Saul was a hostile leader. And the Bible says a hostile man stirs up strife. And so his hostility became everybody else's hostility. Everybody else got bent out of shape. Everybody else got frustrated. And Saul even tried to kill his own son in addition to trying to kill David, God's man. They were hostile times. We live in such times as well. Sin abounds, 
Hostility is running rampant. And we too have financial instability. A companion scripture to 1 Chronicles 12 is 1 Samuel 22 where it says, And everyone who is in distress, everyone who is in debt, and everyone who was discontented gathered to him, to David, so he became captain over them. So he had a whole group of people that were in debt. Anybody relate to that? We're a country that's in debt. You know what our national debt is now? It's approaching $32 trillion, with a T, trillion dollars. $32. When I first preached this sermon back in 2015, eight years ago, these were my notes, and I had to mark out the number here. It was $18 trillion then. It's, all, it's on its way to almost double in eight years. The $32 trillion. And it's not just Washington, but you read the stats and you find out that the total household consumer debt, that's the debt that you and I have on our credit cards, on our personal loan, lines of loan from the bank and all this other stuff, consumer debt, it amounts to $3 trillion. And so it's not just them, it may be us. And discerning people see the signs of the times, and they, they recognize, number one, we're going in the wrong direction. There's got to be a change. But sometimes it's so hard to admit. I mean, the sin may be in our life. The hostility may be in our relationships, in our, in our home. We may be head over heels in debt. We, we, we don't want anybody to know it. And, and it's us, but it's hard for us to admit it. All them, they had to admit it for there to be a change. Man was driving down the freeway when his wife called his cell phone. Herman, I just heard on the news that there's a car going the wrong way on Route 280. Please be careful. I am on 280, Herman said, and it's not just one car, it's hundreds of them. <laughs> Poor Herman was going the wrong way, and he didn't know it. You and I can be the same way. It can be us. But we need to be people of discernment. And realize when the Lord's speaking and the Lord's moving, He's going to be speaking to us and He's going to be moving us because we need to change. So that was their first understanding is they, they understood they were going in the wrong direction. The signs were all around them. The signs are all around us. Are we heeding the signs? Are we recognizing the problem? Decisive people had this understanding. Number two, they understood what to do when you're going in the wrong direction. They repented. Verse 23 presents to us a word of repentance. It says that they had gathered there to turn over the kingdom, to turn the kingdom around, to turn it in a different direction, and, and all of them with that turning. The Old Testament word for repentance along with the New Testament word for repentance are rich in meaning. The New Testament word for repentance means to change your mind. But it's not just a changing of your mind, that's it. It's a change in mind that leads to a change in heart that leads to a change in life. It's a turning of your life around and going in a different direction. And when Jesus came preaching, the first words he preached was repent. 
for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. There's a different way of living. There's a different power. It's available. You can be delivered from where you are now. The kingdom of heaven's here. But you have to repent. You have to turn. The Old Testament word for repentance that's found here in verse 23 means to, to basically means to surround or encircle. And, and so the idea is a little bit different, but it's similar. They, they turn, but when they turn, they encircled David. And you can see that picture in your mind's eye. 400,000 plus people, they're all gathered there. It's kind of like there's this huge conference, and here's this figure they've come to see. And he walks in the middle, and they all turn and surround him. It was a picture of, of repentance for them. They, they were turning around. They were turning over their allegiance and their control of their life to someone else. They were centering their life around David, around God's David. That's what repentance is. Repentance is turning away from your life, your sin, your way of doing things, and then centering your life around Christ. In Christ alone. We center our church, we center our home, we center our, our hearts, everything. And, and as much as we can, we center our country around Him. Repentance. That's where the decision takes a turn. And our path can take a turn. And if we are sincere and we're genuine, God will change our life and He'll change others around us. Jesus said, unless you repent, you shall, all like, you shall all likewise perish. Sin always kills something. Sin will kill the purity of a heart. It will kill the state of a mind. It can kill an opportunity. It can kill a future. It can kill a relationship. It can kill a home. It can kill a church. It can kill a nation. Worst of all, it can kill a soul. The wages of sin is death. But Jesus said, unless you repent, you'll all perish. And he's leaving room there for another way. He said, unless you repent. If you repent, though, the Bible has a different message. If you repent, you shall all likewise live. Ezekiel 18, verse 21 through 23 is very clear about this. But if a wicked person turns away from all his sins that he has committed, he shall surely live and not die. None of the transgressions, do you hear that? None of the transgressions that he has committed shall be remembered against him. Have I any pleasure in the death of the wicked, declares the Lord God, and not rather that he should turn from his way and live? God wants you to live, but you have to repent. You have to recognize you're going in the wrong way, that there's some things in your life that don't belong. There's some things in your life that, that are killing you. They're killing all the good things around you. And you have to repent. You have to turn. You have to center yourself around Christ. As a 10-year-old boy, I repented of my sins for the very first time. God had been dealing with me. Eight years old, nine years old, ten years old. God had been dealing with me, convicting me of my sins. I was raised in church by a Christian family. I knew God was all around me, but God convicted me of the sin in my life. And he made me aware that my sin had separated me from him. And while God was all around me, he wasn't in me, controlling me. He wasn't in charge. 
And I had to repent. And his convicting word brought me to repentance. There is no salvation about repentance, folks. See, if you, if, you, if you think you're saved and you never repented of your sin, you just got an intellectual faith. You know there's a God. You know he's real. You even know he can save you. I knew all those things. But we have to bow our hearts, surrender our life. We have to admit that we're a sinner that needs to be saved. And we have to turn it all over to him. That's what repentance does. It gets all over to him, holding nothing back. And when we do that, then we can live. And what a life he's got us to live. And he wants to use us. Like he used these folks on this occasion. So number one, they understood they were going the wrong direction. Number two, they understood what to do when you're going the wrong direction. You repent. And then number three, they understood how to follow their leader. Some of you kids love to play the game. Follow the leader. We always want to be the leader, right? I want to be the leader this time. We want everybody following us. And there's nothing wrong with that game. But in life, we have to all realize that there's only one leader. And it's not you and it's not me. But it's Jesus Christ. Our David. He's our leader. And we, as it were, need to gather around him, circle around him, the great army of God that, that he has in this world today, and circle our lives around him and then follow what he says and go where he goes. That's what these folks did so well. They, they followed their leader. The Bible says these were men who could keep ranks. Verse 38 says they came with their heart with a perfect heart, a loyal heart, complete heart, and were of all of one mind to make David king. I think here we see a picture of what it's like to follow God's leader. How do you follow God's leader? Well, these folks, number one, came to him with commitment. They came to him at Hebron. Hebron was down in the south. Many of these folks, most of these folks were up around the north. Tribe of Issachar, Zebulun, Naphtali, that was all up in the north part. It was the farthest point away from where Hebron was. And yet you add it up and you find that they were more in number than, all, than many of the other tribes that were there. They came with commitment. You see, you don't try Jesus, you trust him. Trusting him means you turn over control. It means you make a commitment. And when you trust him, he'll change your life. He'll take some things from you. But I found that he only takes those things that hurt you and he always gives you more than he takes. There's a blessing in following Jesus. And that's what these guys were doing. They were following their David. They came to him, number one, with commitment. And number two, they came with a completely surrendered heart. See there it says they came with a loyal heart, a perfect heart, a complete heart. It they were, meant they were holding nothing back. And they had one mind to make David king. They were surrendered from their heart. Does the Lord have all of your heart? You can't be a decisive person in these decisive days without a surrendered heart. To the Lord. If we're holding back, if we're living our own way, if we're one way here, another way out there, we can never make a difference in this world. Here were men 
who were understanding that they needed to choose sides. And this was the moment. And they needed to get on the right side. And that was the side of the Lord. And they did that. They were committed. They had the farthest way to go, but they came. They came with a surrendered heart. And they came pursuing closeness with their David. Verses 39 and following tells us this. And they were with David three days, eating and drinking, for their brethren had prepared for them. Moreover, they were those who were near to them from as far away as Issachar and Zebulun and Naphtali were bringing food on donkeys and camels, on mules and oxen, provisions of flour and cakes of figs and cakes of raisins, wine and oil and oxen and sheep abundantly, for there was joy in Israel. They had an old-fashioned Sunday fellowship dinner. Fellowship around the table. That's what you do with people that you're close to. And I've realized that the people you're closest to is the folks you sit down with most often around the table. They want to be close to David. They had the farthest distance to travel, but that didn't stop them. They wanted to get there. They wanted to be close to him. And they came, and they came bringing supplies. They came and brought the food. It's interesting, these tribes... Issachar, Zebulun, Naphtali, they were up around the north area. We don't know a whole lot about them. This is the scripture that tells us most about them. But we really do know them because in the New Testament, see, that was the area around Galilee. This is the area where Jesus set up his ministry. This is the area where he called, from which he called most of his 12 disciples. See, these were the Galileans. And while there were Gentiles in this area after the captivity, most likely the folks that came back here and settled here is because they had roots in the tribes of Issachar and Zebulun and Naphtali. Their ancestors were these people of understanding and discernment who knew how to follow their leader. And I think this is probably part of the reason why the Lord Jesus stationed his ministry up north around the Sea of Galilee, around these Galileans, because they had shown a long time before that they wanted to be close to God's leader. And they wanted to follow him. The Bible didn't tell us where some of the disciples' tribes were, but I think this shows us a pretty good indication that they were probably, most of them were probably from Issachar, Zebulun, and Naphtali. And there were people who wanted to follow the Lord. God's looking for Galileans today. He's looking for me and you to be people like that who want to be close to the Lord. And I want to ask you a personal question this morning. With everything that's going on, is the Lord the closest person in your life? Closer than your spouse? Closer to you than your children? Closer to you than your best friend? Closer to you than anybody else? Do you have this kind of closeness with the Lord? Well, we all have room of improvement to accomplish in that area, don't we? But this is the key to being a decisive person, to being a person that in times like this where everything else is going out of control, that we keep focused and we do something that will make an everlasting difference 
as we walk step by step with the Lord every single day. That he's the first person we talk to when we get up in the morning. He's the last person we talk to when we go to bed. He's the person we take our heart cry to. He's the person that is the, the source of our life. And we can't do it without him. That was these people who were decisive during decisive times. As we close today, I want to ask you, do you need to admit today that you're going in the wrong direction? Do you need to repent of something? Repentance doesn't stop after we're saved. We have to daily, regularly forsake sin and say, Lord, that's not me. Lord, I'm sorry. I confess my sin. I'm sorry I stumbled. I'm sorry I, I, I departed from you, Lord. And I, I want to turn back. We're not saved over and over again, but our fellowship is renewed over and over again. So you do, do you need to repent of something today? And do you need to come and do you need to say, Lord, I want to be closer to you than anyone else because I want to be that decisive person. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Central Word. Our prayer is that this message will encourage you in your walk with Christ as we dive into God's Word each and every week. Thanks again for joining us, and may God bless you in the week to come.